it really flips all of our seeking for happiness totally on its head. There's such a different shift in our experience when we discover that happiness is what we essentially are. Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within, to seek out new joys and new methods of awakening, to boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome back, fellow explorers, to Awareness Explorers. I'm Jonathan Robinson, and I'm with my co-host and friend, Brian Tom O'Connor. And today, Brian, we have a special guest, Sam Go, and I will introduce Sam in a moment. And as usual, we have a, a perfect combination. I know nothing about Sam, and you know everything about him. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> it will be a good combination for asking him about his work. But a quick bio about Sam. Sam Goh is a psychologist with a deep interest in exploring the nature of being. His aim is to aid whoever is interested in discovering the true nature of what they are. He takes a pragmatic approach, which is direct, simple, and accessible to anyone. And the other thing I know about Sam is that he recently started a YouTube channel that's uh, quite successful in talking about awareness. But welcome to Awareness Explorers, Sam. Thanks for having me on. Very much looking forward to this. And yeah, I appreciate it. Since I and most of our audience doesn't know much about you, I'm curious how you went from being a psychologist to somebody interested in non-dual spirituality and awareness. Yeah, that's a good question. I suppose to some degree, my interest in spirituality actually came before me becoming a psychologist or even... Mm -hmm. Um, becoming interested in that field. I mean, I was raised Christian, so I guess that's one form of belief or spirituality, if you want to call it that. But then um, later on, I already before I started studying psychology, I became interested in meditation, but was very much approaching it from a kind of, let's say, dualistic way of looking. I was also a metaphysical materialist, even though I didn't call myself that at the time, and very much had this kind of attitude of just self-improvement. So meditation was just part of that. But still, I would say that's very much the root of my spiritual interest. So when I started studying psychology and later worked as a psychologist, all of that was very much ingrained in my kind of deeper understanding of, of our being, you know, of awareness. And, and I always saw psychology not as like a separate field to that, but more of a supplement to that. And, you know, a lot of times we hear this term embodiment when it comes to awakening. And psychology, I really just always saw it as like a part of the embodiment you know, that comes after the recognition of our true nature. And so psychology really kind of fit more so into my spiritual life than the other way around, I would say. I, I like that because that's been true for me as well, that you know, a lot of people separate those two, psychology and spirituality. And you know, when you do that with spirituality, you can go into spiritual bypassing. And when you go into psychology, you miss the true nature. So they are complementary. And I appreciate that that's been your experience as well. They are absolutely complementary. Yes. Um, I mean, 
you know, spirituality, the way I approach it, is to some extent a total bypass. But the thing is that we can't get stuck in that bypass. It's a kind of bypass that then turns around, comes back around and re-embraces your humanity and addresses it then from this totally different perspective, right? And this is where a kind of more psychological understanding of what you are and, and you know how you're interacting with others, um, how you go through life then becomes more important. But it always happens in this kind of larger context and understanding of what you are essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important that a lot of a lot of people miss. I do think that um, often two steps are needed. We need to look at awareness apart from the content of awareness just to get an idea of being able to turn our attention towards it. But if we don't turn around again and see everything in the world as being made of awareness and, and and seeing the lack of separation then we haven't gone the whole route and it all then it also doesn't inform our, our daily life absolutely yeah i almost think of it in terms of two non-dualities so the first kind of step as i approach it at least and it's not like i have a very strict map you know it's very dynamic and and how i go about this depending on what's useful to people. But the first step for me is always kind of investigating the apparent subject of experience. And what we discover there, of course, is that we are not this limited localized entity, but there is just this unbounded openness, which is awake, and we can call it awareness for short. And then the first kind of non-dual realization that comes after that, because that's not non-duality yet, is to then see that our entire field of experience, our perceptions, are not separate from this unbounded beingness, from this awareness. They are rather the expression of it. So there's a non-duality between this awareness and our field of perceptions. But then, interestingly, I find that there's a different kind of non-duality, which is sometimes overlooked. And everything I just spoke about, like this unbounded awareness, And then this kind of field of perceptions that still doesn't really address conventional reality because all of that is still somewhat transcendental. I mean, unbounded beingness has nothing to do with human life and neither does a flow of indescribable perceptions that is still very much kind of transcendental. And to me, what's really important is to then also discover the non-duality between our conventional life as human beings and this totally transcendental realization, this unbounded openness, which is displaying itself as this dynamic field of perceptions, that this transcendental realm is also not separate from how we go through our day, how we talk to people, how we listen, how we perceive everything that makes our conventional life. And kind of bridging that gap and seeing that there's also no separation there is kind of like almost a harder step to take for some, you know, they can, it's very easy to still be stuck in some kind of transcendence and cling to that and separate that out from our just human growing up, which all of us and maybe infinitely still have to do. Well, I like to use the term re-embrace your humanity from that transcendent field. And it's a really important topic because you do get the people who, who like, you know, just go off into transcendence. Yeah. And 
it's not a good advertisement for uh for our podcast you know those people yeah often are don't feel very caring or connected so how do you re-embrace your humanity once you are aware of the transcendent aspect of ourselves yeah i mean of course in some sense that's what i really try to help people to do through conversations for example and through kind of meditations and, and explorations and mm -hmm. to kind of uncover their fixations and their limiting beliefs and to try to see in which ways they are kind of recollapsing into their old contracted sense of self when they are engaging with life because mm. that's how it shows up right so you are out and about in the world you're in different situations and what then happens you know we can speak all about this magical transcendental nature but then if you're totally re-identified with all your limiting beliefs and feelings then that's not going to do you much good right so in some sense it's just a matter of kind of noticing those contractions and limiting beliefs and then just skillfully kind of exploring them, engaging with them. But of course, the biggest part of this kind of re-embrace is to just live it. You know, it's it's you really have to get into the water and swim to some extent because you can do so much exploration in conversation, you know, in your meditation. But then the real process of that is, of course, how you live your life. You know, how, how does it show up there? And then that's really a kind of, dynamic unfolding where you bring that transcendental realization into your conventional life and you really have to do it for yourself as nobody can do that for you so to say and what is the key in terms of psychological well-being when we bring this into our lives would it be the fact that we're seeing others as ourselves or how would you put it yeah so it's of course interesting how we would even define psychological well-being and i suppose that's not really that simple to do and different people would really kind of have different opinions about what that even means but kind of just taking a step back and looking at it from a very simple perspective there is the possibility and we all know this of contracting and collapsing around parts of our experience and therefore feeling small limited trapped like a solid limited entity and likewise there's the experience of just peace unboundedness wholeness which is also interconnected and that experience of pure beingness which is whole and unbounded but also totally intimate with experience that i would describe as a very fundamental kind of well-being it's almost like doesn't fit into our normal way of thinking of psychological well-being because it is not just a kind of joy or positive feeling or good feeling in the body that arises it is much more fundamental than that it is like almost the fabric of existence we could say this this kind of peace you know and so the answer to our quest for well-being really leads us to something that is in some sense totally outside of the context of our normal person but then of course like i said it's not about just kind of hanging out there and kind of separating out from your life with this kind of transcendental realization of peace but then to not fixate on that and get stuck in that and instead to re-enter the perspective of the person so to say 
but with a totally different sense of what you are and what the world is. And then this piece, interestingly, is not lost, is not diminished, but it also it takes on additional qualities, so to say, of like a, a warmth and beauty and joy and connection. You know, these are kind of natural consequences of this realization, which really kind of flower when we re-engage with life. That's how I would uh, yeah, describe that. You describe it very well, Sam. I could see why your YouTube channel is doing well. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering if um, you said something, you know, that you as partly because of your psychological background, you help people notice where they're collapsing into their old self yeah. and you help them explore or engage that in a way that might help them to not do that is the sense I got. And I'm wondering if you could um, give an example of that. And I will um, offer myself up as a guinea pig in that way. Okay. Um, in my life, I have a lot of openness and peace. But when it comes to email, um, you know, of which I have like 70 a day uh, coming at me, you know, my attitude is kind of like, oh, I got to deal with this email. And what's the next thing I got to do and like that? And um, there's a definite lack of peace, joy, and connection. So th that would be an example where I'm collapsing into an old self. What 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 would you say to someone like that, or or say to me in regard to that that might be helpful? Yeah, just very quickly as like it's a more broad answer before we go specifically to what you you raised. Mm -hmm. All of what I'm speaking about doesn't mean that there are no challenges in life or that things can't be painful or uncomfortable to some extent. That's very much, I would say, baked into relative existence. Yes, life is painful to some extent. It is challenging to some extent. Not everything feels pleasant, right? That's just the way life is. But what I'm saying is that all of these kind of relative challenges can also be experienced in a radically different way, right? And that's just, I think, important to have as a framework because it's very easy to have the sense that if anything kind of is feels challenging or difficult, we interpret that as, oh, that's my ignorance. I have collapsed into my sense of separation. Why do I still feel challenged? You know, that shouldn't be happening. I'm so unenlightened, mm -hmm. you know? That's, it's very easy to fall into this kind of mode, I think. And mm -hmm. so that's just a uh, important to have in mind whenever we're talking about like specific challenges. Nevertheless, so the specific thing you talked about, we'd maybe have to look a bit more closely at what's happening. So when you feel like you're losing the sense of peace. So is that something that happens straight away when you're answering the first mail of the day? Or is that something that happens over time? How exactly does that show up in your experience? It happens very quickly. And it goes from, you know, this relaxed sense of being and presence to this uh, belief like, oh, I, as soon as I get this done, then I can feel peaceful again. So mm. it's a combination of like focus and doing that seems to uh, say that a sense of awareness or peace is not appropriate or possible in this moment. Yeah. So the way you described it, and of course, there's always a limitation of language, right? So I'm not some kind of stickler for, for language. All language is kind of misleading and limiting, right? But 
the way you described it, it's almost like you you experience a sort of dichotomy between being on one hand and mm -hmm. doing on the other hand. But what I'm describing really is fundamentally the possibility of not just having this either or, but operating, living, acting from this being, right? So this is what I meant with this re-entering into the perspective. So you are present as this unbounded openness, but then when you're going back to the relative world with all of its objects, you don't then use this kind of fixating, contracting attention, which we are so accustomed to using. What mm -hmm. can arise out of this being is what I call more of like a soft focus or soft awareness. So it's like awareness in some sense goes out to whatever is being perceived, can interact with it, but it doesn't have this like sharp, sticky attention to it. So there's mm -hmm. still the sense of like groundlessness, which then also is can interact with objects but it doesn't necessarily collapse into this tightness of attention. And so whenever mm -hmm. we notice that, we can simply become aware of that, open that up, relax that a bit, re-recognize where we are coming from, what we are, and then come back to our field of experience while having still this kind of sense of the groundlessness of being, right? And mm -hmm. so it's very apparent in our experience when that is the case, it, there's something really kind of visceral about it when we're contracting back into this kind of fixated attention. And what's interesting, like you, you said, then you kind of these these sort of worries and when, when can you get this done and these things come up. That's, of course, very natural because the more we contract about around something in our experience, the stronger this sense of self will localize as well, right? Mm -hmm. And likewise, the more this is like, more soft this attention is like this arising of awareness the more groundless you as the apparent observer will also feel there won't be this strong sense of an entity doing the job right so there's then the possibility of kind of doing from being right and and that just in a very broad sense um can make a real difference in terms of yeah how we can be involved with life without losing touch of this piece. Sounds great. Yeah, I really like that expression, doing from being. Uh, and and um, before I ask the next question, did you have further follow-up, Jonathan, on this, on the topic of emails, et cetera? Uh, no, I thought Sam answered it really well. And yeah, I did too. And, and that answer also um, harkened back to one of your early answers where you talked about well-being as being fundamental. And th this is my experience too. And, and I realized a while back that well-being, or I just call it simple happiness, is actually our, our default state, but it's yeah. covered up by these ideas about how life should be and thoughts about the future and the past, and in fact, thoughts and thinking in general. And, and I recently had the idea that Perhaps happiness is is similar to silence. Silence is kind of like an, a clear field in which sounds appear, or spaciousness might be a, the clear field of awareness in which perceptions appear. Happiness, to me, is that clear field in which other emotions appear, like sadness, like anxiety, like fear. They still can come up, but they come up 
in happiness. So in, a, in, a, in an odd way, you could be happy when you're sad or you could be happy when you're anxious. And that sounds a little like the soft focus you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. What you just described is an absolutely essential realization to me. This what you described as happiness being the default. I absolutely agree with that. And it really kind of flips all of our seeking for happiness totally on its head. There's such a different like, shift in our experience when we discover that happiness or peace, if we prefer that word, I mean, in this context, I don't really make a distinguish them, that this is just what we essentially are. That is so different from our default mode of operating, where we have the sense that peace is something we create. It is a sort of state. It is the result of a doing. But when we understand that it's the nature of our being, that's, of course, going to fundamentally change how we go about finding peace. It's then obvious in our experience, maybe not all at once, but eventually, that it's never a matter of doing more or finding more or creating a certain state, but just about relaxing this grasping we have on our experience. Relaxing that is synonymous with the recognition of our true nature, and the recognition of our true nature is synonymous with this deep peace, this happiness. Right? So it's a totally different outlook and context for finding happiness and seeking it, right? It's very, it's very different. Yeah. Very different. And, uh, you know, we've, we have a trillion dollar economy on finding happiness outside you. Nobody's figured out a way to make a trillion dollars from finding happiness inside <laughs> you. Uh, we, need, we, need, we need some, <laughs> some better advertising for God, peace, joy, and love. But, um, yeah. You know, I recently had an interesting experience uh, where I was in a in very difficult conversation with someone that I care deeply about uh, changing the na nature of our relationship. And there was, you know, sadness and tears and and some hard things being said on both sides. And what was interesting about it is I was also in touch with this peace at the same time. You know, normally, yes. if you're having a really intense conversation, you might lose that. But it was interesting to have it really so much in the background that I felt like even though I was going through all these emotions, that was happening perfectly. And it almost wasn't like it was ha I, like it was happening to me. It was more like the Jonathan character was experiencing a lot of emotions, but it was almost like God or divine was acting through all these different uh, actors. And uh, it was an interesting experience to to have that with such strong emotions at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful point. I mean, it points to this realization that no emotions inherently are in contradiction to this deep peace we speak about, right? Mm -hmm. So we can experience a kind of sadness, be moved, right? And maybe even sometimes a certain sense of anger and that's not synonymous with losing this peace, not at all. Mm -hmm. It's just experienced very differently. So I had a similar experience this week as well in my um, job as a psychologist where I was talking to this young woman. She was uh, 25 years old. And a couple of years ago, she she made a mistake while driving, tried to overtake, um, bumped into another car and, and killed the guy who was in the other car, right? And so mm -hmm. very difficult for her to talk about this. Very emotional, obviously, right? It's very understandable. 
And talking to her, I felt very much kind of moved and touched by that. But it wasn't just sadness there. As I was listening to her and in some sense being this space for her, there was this deep sense of connection and meaning there, a kind of beauty in that, which, Mm. of course, I'm not saying that what she's saying is beautiful, but there's still an inherent beauty and meaning in that experience. And the peace, therefore, is also felt, right? It's, it's of course, not the same as a kind of bubbling joy, which sometimes arises out of this peace, but this peace can really accommodate any kind of experience, right? And that's just one example of that, how it can show up in our lives, you know, how we can embody that and how we then experience it. Mm-hmm. It's all being painted on a sacred background. Yes. And that background is, can, can still be felt even in the midst of this chaos of life. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, that's so important. And and you talked about grasping earlier. And I think in one of your videos, I'm not sure if I remember this correctly, but you almost you almost said that grasping is synonymous with the the sense of the separate self. Yes. And and this is a topic that fascinates me, the the illusion of the separate self. And you said two things in your videos that were really interesting. One, you said we never actually experience a separate self and and the other one is that and i'm going to quote you here but the beautiful thing is we don't actually even need to get rid of this sense of self we just have to see that the sense of self is empty and i was wondering if you could elaborate on that a little bit yeah yeah those are very fine points but i think they're really important and it's kind of interesting how you know when it comes to non-duality people always want to kind of get rid of the self but how clear are we being and what the self even is? You know? right. And that can, of course, be a problem. But we're really trying to get rid of something, but we're not even sure what we're trying to get rid of or what it is that should dissolve, right? And so broadly speaking, the way I think about it, and again, this is just my way of describing it. It's not some kind of fundamental truth. Other people might use these words differently. That's perfectly fine. But the way I think about it is that on one hand, we can talk about an actually existing self as like a real separate entity. Now, such a thing is never actually experienced. And it's really hard to make even sense of what that could be, how we could find it or how it could be experienced, right? So this self as a real entity is fundamentally just a kind of belief, which we never analyze too deeply. We just kind of assume it's there, it must be there, and I must be it, right? And it's just something that's kind of running in the system without really questioning it. Now, the sense of self, this is where it kind of gets interesting. I, I, I separate that out from this self I just spoke about because, first of all, we can just acknowledge that a certain sense of self is absolutely needed in conventional life. And some people seem to not want to acknowledge that, but that doesn't make much sense to me. So let me describe a bit more what I mean by the sense of self. I mean, for example, that there's a sense of the body existing in space, that when sensations arise, I don't just experience them as existing in the glass in front of me. I can kind of map them onto this visual experience of the body. When I'm thinking about the past, I can think of like a coherent story of how I went through my life. All of that makes like a kind of self-construct, and we could describe that as a sense of self. That in of itself is, of course, not problematic. That's just functional. How would you function without that? You know, if you if I thought somehow that 
I could control this glass, like I'm controlling my arm, you know, that this was part of my self-model, that would be very dysfunctional. As a matter of fact, I've seen in clinical neuropsychology, I've seen people who had brain damage and, and who had symptoms like that. For example, if one patient told me, that's not my arm, actually, that's my friend's arm, you know, that's, that doesn't belong to my body. Now, there's nothing functional about that, you know. And then some people have the sense that they're being controlled by an outside force, that there is no, like, volition in there, right? And so a relative sense of volition is also part of this. I can discriminate between, like, a muscle spasm where my arm just kind of flies over the place, and now me intentionally doing that. There's a different flavor to that, right? Again, kind of sense of self, we could describe that. So I would just say that getting rid of these kind of functions of conventional reality wouldn't be a good idea. Now, interestingly, what can happen as well, and this is where the grasping comes in, the more we grasp to parts of our experience, the stronger this sense of self will have a kind of concreteness, will feel like it is somehow really separating itself out from experience. So then it's not like there's just this functional experience of the sense of self, but it now feels like a real contraction, like we are put in this box to some degree. And the stronger we grasp onto the part of our experience, the stronger this sense of self will feel. And this is very kind of apparent in our in our day-to-day experience. Think about the moments where you really felt limited and identified and like boxed in. It was most likely because, for example, you had a thought arise, which had very kind of negative implications towards your self-concept. And you didn't just experience that, but you were really collapsing into that, contracting around that or grasping onto it. And with that came like certain bodily sensations as well and a grasping to that as well. So there's like this whole loop of grasping we create that makes the sense of self all of a sudden feel very solid, real, and separate. And so it's no longer just functional and kind of empty and and useful and arising when it's needed, but then it all of a sudden, it's like been hijacked to some degree and now feels like an actually existing ego. and, And so that's a very different experience and that can be relaxed because there's nothing functional about that, that kind of contraction around experience, right? So the sense of self, we can almost almost think of it on, on a kind of spectrum where, so, where there's just the kind of functional sense of that. And then there's the real contraction around that, which makes it feel uh, very real. Right? So that's broadly speaking, how I think about the self and, and sense of self. Mm-hmm. I, and, I like the simplicity of the... Uh, formula. And I, I like, you know, in, in physics, they have formulas and science they have formulas. I think we should really have the same in, in consciousness that the greater the sense of grasping, the greater the sense of self. And the corollary is that the less grasping, the less sense of self. So one of my favorite techniques that I use is I'll say for the next 20 seconds, have no preferences. Yeah. And with no preferences comes this awareness of the nature of our being, of pure beingness. It's one of the most effective techniques I use. Now, I can't yes. let go of preferences. You know, I prefer that this conversation go good. I prefer that uh, I have some potato chips afterwards, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> but uh, but um, doing that for 20 seconds usually isn't a problem. 
So I'll just take 20 second breaks throughout the day and, and just say, for right now, I have no preferences. And um, it immediately opens up that spaciousness. Yes, it's a beautiful way of doing it. I, I, I do something very similar with an emphasis on relaxation, you know, just mm -hmm. totally relaxing everything, which is more or less, uh, it's more or less the same as what you described. And the interesting realization then, of course, is that you kind of start out doing this as, as the person, as a body-mind, doing a kind of practice. But what's then realized is your fundamental being, which is already relaxed, which is always mm. totally relaxed, which already has no preferences, right? So the kind of relative relaxation or opening and having no preferences is kind of mimicking that to some extent, but it's powerful in opening up to the realization that this is fundamental to existence itself, this freedom, lack of grasping, this relaxation. And we are then relaxed, not as a body-mind, but relaxed as that which cannot not be relaxed. You know, so that's very different. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's so, so key, the, the already part. Yes. It, it's so important because a lot of people, you know, for instance, you say, well, okay, I'm going to um, surrender or I'm going to allow everything to be as it is. And their brain will fight them because it doesn't want to. But when we notice that there's something which we call awareness or, you know, or pure awareness that is already allowing, that is already surrendered, that's like a clear mirror that doesn't choose what to reflect. Exactly. That, that, that it makes it much easier. It makes it less about what that imaginary separate self can or can't do. Yes, it's totally irrelevant to some extent because these qualities which we're trying to cultivate are then just discovered to be inherent in the nature of awareness, which is, of course, a very powerful and liberating insight to have. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And also, let me see if I get this right. You're, when you talk about the sense of the separate self, I think you say that when we perceive something, the sense of separate self arises along with the perceiving of it. Yeah, you know, to some extent, it's it's interesting to think about what the most fundamental kind of experience of a sense of self is, but you're always experiencing life from a kind of perspective of the body-mind, right? It has a certain structure to it. It's always, even though one can see that it's not fundamentally true, but I can, it's almost like I cannot not see this screen in front of me and have some sense of distance, right? But distance already implies, of course, an object over there and a self that is experiencing the distance. So there is a kind of sense of that. But it's very different to experience that relative experience of space and distance and really kind of contracting around this experience of seeing the screen and then having that feel like it's very fundamental and self-existing, that this, this is really reality. This can just be kind of an experience of um, awareness, similar to... You know, right now I'm looking at the screen and I'm seeing like in Brian's room, like there's, there seems to be like a, a distance there, right? It's like I'm really seeing a three-dimensional space there. But at the same time, I can just see this is just the flatness of the screen. There's no distance there at all. But 
me realizing that there is just this flatness of the screen doesn't prevent me from also seeing the three-dimensionality of your room, like this depth to it, right? And similarly, I can experience this relative sense of space and distance, and that doesn't obscure the fact that it's just dimensionless awareness that is taking the shape of that. Mm -hmm. The the way I think of it is that you don't take your sense of self as being any more important than anything else you're looking at. Exactly. It's it's just a part of the, like use the mirror analogy, that's just mm -hmm. also part of the reflection. And it's not like you need to get rid of some parts of the mirror's reflection so that you can finally see the mirror, right? right. No, no, this reflection is no good. I, I have to cover over this, right? Otherwise, it's not the mirror anymore, right? But this is right. in some sense how we're approaching our experience in occasions. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, since this is Awareness Explorers, I, I, I want to circle back a little bit just to the to the nature of awareness, because it's something that you talk about a lot. And you, you in one of your videos, you said um, all there is to awareness is awareness itself. And all there is to seeing is the awareness of it. What would happen to the experience of seeing if awareness wasn't there? And I really love the practicality of this pointer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, I use this especially when people have this sense of awareness being separate from their field of experience, right? So we can have the sense of having recognized awareness, but that somehow we separate this awareness out from the experience of seeing, for example. But in order to show how inseparable they are, we can discover that all there is to what we're seeing right now in a very fundamental way is just the awareness of it, right? If that was somehow switched off, as if that's possible, but we can just imagine it, what would happen to the experience of seeing, right? It just wouldn't be possible. It wouldn't be there. So seeing can only exist as an expression of this fundamental awareness, right? And therefore, that also makes it very apparent to us that we can't peel them apart. There's no separation to us. There is no seeing without the awareness of it, right? There, this is the non-duality between them. And the other key thing you said about awareness, and I love what you just said now, was that this awareness is not personal at all. There's nothing personal about it, no label, no name. And exactly. sometimes that's hard for people to grasp because they think of awareness as this thing inside their head yeah. people talk about my awareness yeah yeah that's just a limitation of language on one hand of course because mm. i'm sure i mean i'm speaking about your true nature my true nature that is of course inherently misleading because that seems to imply like it's a procession of of me or or you right but when we discover this awareness we just find that it has no objective qualities nothing which could kind of label it as belonging to a particular person it is therefore just utterly impersonal, boundless, free, right? And yet it's also totally intimate with our personal experience of life. The awareness of itself is utterly impersonal, but it experiences itself as what's our personal experience, interestingly. Yeah. Paradox number 154 on the spiritual path, if I <laughs> yes. remember. Yeah. Um, I, I uh, Brian and I have often talked about uh, what we call a spiritual two-step, and I see that with non-dual stuff, that at first you might 
feel that awareness is separate from the world, like you're looking out of a window to the world from this peaceful place. And then from there, you you then launch into where it's all one. Uh, is that your experience too? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's kind of what I described earlier, how it seems to be necessary for most people to first, in some sense, at least conceptually, separate awareness out from their field of experience. And I've definitely considered to what extent that is even necessary, whether one cannot just come to a direct experience of like non-separation, non-duality in a more direct way. But I still think it's useful to some extent to find that awareness is already unbounded, whole, you know, and without qualities inherently. That is in of itself already a really powerful um, experience and psychologically very meaningful too. And it's also a very kind of safe way to proceed, I find, you know, because there are some approaches which are all about deconstructing and taking things away, you know, this and this, you know, that, that's an illusion. But kind of having awareness as a landing place, even if we subtly kind of turn it into an object, is still, I think, an okay, an okay thing to do. If we then also discover that this awareness is unfindable for one as an object, and also totally intimate with our field of experience. And so we then arrive at this experience of what I would call non-duality, the non-duality between awareness and perceptions, our field of experience. They are not necessarily just one. It's interesting because why not just call it oneness? We could, and maybe in some cases I do, but non-duality to me is beautiful, the word, because it emphasizes that we can, in some sense, distinguish between the kind of evenness, spaciousness, and boundlessness of awareness and its dynamic expression. But yet, they are not two, you know, they are non-dual. But they're also not simply just one thing. It's a bit like I can mm. see the mirror and see there's this dynamic display of reflections and there's just the clarity and evenness of the mirror. And... To call them one thing would be okay, okay, of course, to some extent. But if I say the evenness of the mirror and the reflections are non-dual, it's kind of like I have both, so to say. I can distinguish them, but I'm not separating them out. So there's like mm -hmm. a subtle difference there. The extent to which that really matters uh, could, of course, be argued about. But yeah, it's interesting uh, about this term. Hmm. You are very good at describing in words the things that are actually completely undescribable so i congratulate you it's not an easy thing to do <laughs> yes um, it's not it's not i had to learn this the hard way too um you will even see in my first videos where i started speaking about this uh kind of publicly that i had to do a cut like after every sentence because after every sentence i had to reflect what i was going to say next you yeah. know yeah. And sort of being able to speak more fluently about it was certainly a, a learning process for me as well, which mm. uh, which just came out of speaking about this now almost daily, daily, you know. But uh, yes, you know, it's like you, in your own mind, you have these clear concepts about it, and you think you can express them. But then when you try to express, you think, oh my god, this is actually really hard to talk about this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you have to kind of find your own language to do that, you know, which works, and uh -huh. that's. A kind of individual process as well, I find. And it's a great gift when, you know, one of the things I, I hope people get from our podcast is as we describe these things, 
it kind of makes it more real. Yes. You know, we we have words to describe computers. So computers are very real to us, you know, but when it comes to these subtle distinctions of consciousness, awareness, non-duality, uh, we're not used to describing them with words. It's difficult to describe them with words because words were not pointed in that direction. They're more for commerce and, and objects. Yeah. So, but I find that when I hear somebody like you or some other teacher describing these things, I get kind of high because you keep, you, the words are keep pointing us to these experiences. And as you use those words and you point to those experiences, soon you're having those experiences. And I hope a lot of our listeners are, are kind of writing your words and using them as almost like a meditation tool to point yes. you towards pure awareness. And um, I'm wondering, Brian, if you have any last questions before we dive into a, a guided meditation where we use more words to do, point us in the right direction no i i think that we should dive into the medit uh, into the meditation because uh if we get into the belief in the external world and uh bernardo castrop and all of that <laughs> stuff we'll be here all day but maybe maybe we can talk about that together some other time yeah i'd love to yeah for sure well we'd love to have you uh point us more in the direction of these experiences with your guided meditation sam Okay, beautiful. Yeah, let's do it. Um, and like you said, everything we just talked about is a beautiful preamble because I will just use exactly the concepts I just spoke about to point us to our true nature. And something I want to say before we start to points which are really good to emphasize is that it's first of all, only about relaxation. So just for a bit, try to not accomplish anything, create anything, relax. And fundamentally, trust your experience. Because doubt, for most of us, is such a huge obstacle. So trust whatever you are getting. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be magical. Trust whatever you are getting. And that's fine. Enjoy that. There's no perfection we're looking for. Relax and trust what you're getting. Okay, so just make sure you're sitting comfortable and relaxed. No special posture needed. And just for a bit, allow yourself to settle on the breath. And I will keep my eyes open. And we will go through this meditation with our eyes open and just have a relaxed view out into the room. Now, as you're looking out, don't fixate on any object in particular, but just have a sort of soft focus. Just resting in the space in front of you. And we will now begin to open awareness up a bit. Instead of fixating on experience, we're just opening and relaxing. And by first doing that by just listening. Open up to the entire field of sound right now. Subtle sounds, loud sounds, my voice, anything you hear in the background. Just open up to this entire field. 
already sense how there is this wholeness, relaxation that comes more to the foreground with this. And now include the visual field as well in your opening up. So instead of looking at anything in particular, include the periphery of your visual field. Include the entire visual field, but do so effortlessly. Just opening up, relaxing into this openness. And again, just noticing gently the peace, the wholeness that comes with that relaxation. You can notice now that there is an awareness here which you are not creating. The awareness which is seeing right now is here regardless of how much effort you're putting in. So just see, notice what happens when you completely drop any effort, any attempt to maintain a state of mind. See that awareness is still already here, just as awake, without any of your doing. Uh, it can be the sense that you are somehow this self which is aiming this awareness out in front of you. If this is the sense you're having right now, allow this effortless awareness to look back and through the self. What do you discover there? Just openness, just awakeness. Notice how you are not creating this open awakeness, but you are it. So shift from seeing it to being it. and see how, in fact, you already are it. You always have been it. You cannot not be it. And feel this peace, wholeness, openness, that is inherent here. Anytime you feel like you're grasping again, collapsing into parts of your experience, just open up, 
see the entire visual field, look back, recognize this openness, and drop all effort. Just be what you already are. And notice how this beingness, this awake openness, is totally full with your entire field of experience. Notice how the presence of the visual field right now is inseparable from this open awakeness. So when you are this openness, you are also this flash of forms and colors which you see. Notice how all of this, this richness of experience, is the expression of what you are. Drink all of that in, relax into it. And for the next moments, allow yourself to just drop everything. Okay, and you can now allow the world to come back into focus. But instead of going back into your old way of seeing, maintain this openness, this softness, this relaxation. You can begin to move your arms within this relaxation. Listen from this relaxation. And whatever you do next, do it from this being. Okay, that's it. Well, thank you so much. That was perfect. That was good. That was good. The pointers you're going to get. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Beautiful, a, yeah. As a matter of fact, this whole conversation is is a uh, it's like a primer on awareness. In fact, it could be. You know, our whole awareness explorers philosophy sort of in a nutshell. Yeah, that's beautiful. And likewise, I mean, we hit on so many key points for me in, in just the, the short amount of time. So that's beautiful. Yeah, that was great fun. And thanks so, so much for your questions as well. They were beautifully asked as well. So that's always a big part of giving good answers is having good questions. So <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's, all, a, it's all one. Yeah, it's all one. <laughs> that's right. Uh, How can people find out more about your work, Sam? So um, you can find me on YouTube. My channel is Sam Go, which is G-O-W. And I also have a website, which is sam-go.com. And you can pretty much find more about me there. I have a lot of videos on YouTube on my website. You can read a bit about 
my approach too. And if you would like to um, book a session with me, get in contact with me, you can do that through my website too. Mm -hmm. Great. And to our Patreon supporters, we send you a bunch of extra stuff each month, blogs, uh, outtakes, uh, extra interviews. So you can find us at patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers. And any last thing you want to say, Brian? No, just I'm very grateful for this conversation and I enjoyed it a lot. Me too. I feel like uh, after that meditation, I had a little mini acid trip, but without the acid. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. a good sign. That's a good sign. <laughs> That's a good sign. <laughs> Great fun, Sam. It was a pleasure meeting you and, and uh, thank you for what you're doing. And Thank you, Brian, for doing all the technical stuff and behind the scenes stuff. I really appreciate that. As we always like to say to our, our fellow passengers on this exploration, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app, We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.